Welcome, everybody. I'm Derek Johnson. Uh, we are here today with a couple of very special guests, my brother, Eric. Welcome, Eric. Great. And uh, Mike Moe. We have known each other for a little while, uh, but really looking forward to using this podcast to get to know you better. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Derek and Eric. <laughs> Hi, Mike. So a little bit of background. Uh, you know, this podcast, we are in uh, recording number 11 uh, for the date. It's April 8th. We expect this podcast going to get released, Mike, uh, probably in late May, early June, somewhere in that time frame. Um, I've known you for seven years-ish now. Um, yeah. My son, Benji, started training with you, uh, Taekwondo. We'll get into, we'll get deep into that topic. But Benji's been one of your students now for seven plus years. And uh, I can tell you, and I can tell our listeners that the practice of Taekwondo is one of those uh, both mental and physical, um, you know, as well as emotional practices, right? That uh, I'm really eager to have you educate our listeners on more today, amongst other things. Uh, but uh, just thank you from the bottom of my heart, my wife's heart for uh, all the impact you've had on Benji over the years. We look forward to getting a little rocky into it in the near future. Yeah, I appreciate it. And yeah, ever since I moved to Wanakee, uh, we've known you guys and you guys have been big supporters of our school and, and me personally. So I appreciate it. Right on. So uh, Eric, you know a little less about Mike and uh, what he's been up to, but you know, when COVID hit a year ago, 13, 14 months ago, Mike, had you ever taught a, a uh, Taekwondo practice over Zoom prior to that? Um, I can't say that I have. I, I mean, maybe maybe some pre-produced segments of martial arts that get sent out, but nothing live like that. And um, when that hit, we all as a team, as an instructor team, we had to learn how to teach again because it's not one-to-one. -one. And I'm sure you guys know having a meeting in person has a little different skill set than being able to do it virtually. So it, it took a little while, but we were able to get it up and running fairly quickly. And um, we were able to provide some, some value to some students that were, you know, let's be honest, looking back, like we were all scared. We had no idea what this thing was. And we just had to kind of roll up our sleeves and be the leaders and, and, and show like, Hey, regardless of the, the, the challenges in front of us, we're pressing on. We're not going to let this stop us. We're just going to figure it out. And that's what we did. Right on. Eric, you're at Control Factors, uh, modifying your business conditions to what's being presented around you. Any questions for Mike along those lines? Well, you know, I think, Mike, uh, it's great that uh, the, the business has successfully weathered this sort of patch. Are there any permanent changes that you sort of have made to your business model or your operations or how you sell, how you market, how you deliver, you know, what, what sort of observations have you gotten that are sort of surprising upsides, things that you were surprised by that they're actually benefits? Yeah, it's, it's totally, um, it's interesting now that we're seeing the optimism, we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, you know, our, our business is, is thriving now, um, before, during, during we weren't thriving, we were surviving. And now that we're out of it, we are able to see, Hey, th that, that sucked for sure. But we've got a lot of positive things that we've been able to see now that, you know, hindsight is 2020 
you know, now I look back in the pre-COVID days and we've always run a solid program and I'm, I'm very proud of what we've done. But now looking back, it's like, how did, how did we cram 35 kids or 35 students on the floor and just have one or two instructors like that? That is not if that was happening today, it would be unacceptable. But back in the day, that was kind of like normal. That's what I was used to growing up. That's what that's what's kind of like standard. But now we've been able to use technology, use Zoom, and now we have uh, a program that's more accessible to people. We, we can be more inclusive. So we've got people training in Macau. We've got people training all over the United States because we're still running Zoom classes three days a week. And um, what this allows for people that are local, they don't have to pay the, the higher fees if they can't afford it. They can pay the lower fee for just one class in person, but then they're joining us on Zoom whether it's more convenient for them or just it fits in their budget better. So that's one positive. Uh, another positive is, you know, our school, now you reserve your class. You don't just show up. So it creates a level of accountability for the students. And it also lets our team know who's going to be there. So it's not overcrowded. We have the right staff and we're teaching to a specific group of people as opposed to just this, this kind of buckshot shotgun mentality. So what I heard there was the pandemic opened up a brand new market that you didn't know existed, and it made your existing operations more efficient and effective in terms of how you teach your students. hundred yeah. percent. Wow. Thank you, pandemic, in yeah. hindsight. Yeah. Well, I always tell our students that within every challenge, there's an opportunity, and this is no different. You know, I, 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 would, I would be lying if I said I wanted this to happen. Definitely not. If I could go back in time, who knows? But we have we can't change the past. So all we can do is, is respond and respond with, you know, whether it's a, a kick or a punch, we've got to respond and counter. And that's what we did. And, you know, there's, there's going to be more challenges in the future and, and knowing that we can navigate this one, which was a pretty tough one. Um, we can handle it all. And that's actually a martial arts principle, if I'm not mistaken, is, you know, steel sharpens steel. And if you're untested, you'll never get any better. And that's exactly what happened to your business. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. That's awesome. Can you share, Mike, uh, with our listeners a little bit about what got you into the, the art uh, practice of Taekwondo? And you know, maybe uh, just for those not familiar with you uh, in our networks, uh, a little bit about what got Mike started in this practice and uh, how you're using it today. Uh, I know your wife, obviously, Rochelle, is very active in this with you. Your kids are into it. You know, Share a little bit about that, would you please? Yeah, so... I grew up in Woodbury, Minnesota, which is a suburb of St. Paul. And I was maybe one of a very small percentage of uh, minorities in, in a very white suburb, not, not, not too dissimilar from where we are in Wanakee, but let's just say like, I could tell I was different, you know? So as a kid, I kind of used that as, instead of hiding and shelling up, I, I became the class clown. I became this guy that wanted to be liked by everybody because I knew I had a layer of otherness that I had to deal with. So that's kind of how I dealt with it. And then I was, I wasn't causing trouble, but I was always kind of like my energy was everywhere. And then I started getting into like Ninja Turtles and Power Rangers and video games. So I was kind of kind of all over the place with sports, doing all this stuff, and I was okay. I was a natural athlete, but not really great at anything. So then I finally convinced my parents. I was like, "Hey, there's a Taekwondo school next to the grocery store. All you have to do is is drop me off." 
it took about a year and I, uh, when I was 12, she finally got me started. And then that is kind of when the moment hit where it's like, okay, this is what a passion is. This is what, this is what I really want to do. And, uh, that, that was kind of the, the time when I figured out, okay, I can drop everything else. And I just want to be martial arts. And I didn't have dreams right away of opening a school and all that. I just wanted to go because it was fun for me and I could do the moves that I saw in my video games and in my shows. And then it slowly turned into just something that, hey, you know, all right, well, I see Bruce Lee, I see Jackie Chan, they're on the, they're on the screen. Maybe I could do that too. So then I started thinking, like, well, maybe I could be in movies. Maybe I could have my own school like Bruce Lee did. So it slowly turned into that. And that's how I met my wife. Um, you know, I met her at a very early age. We didn't start dating obviously until I was, um, much older, but, um, yeah, martial arts has been the foundation to who I am and it really helped shape me. And, uh, I have, I think that's why I find so much satisfaction in passing it to other students like your son. Yeah. That's awesome. I joke with Eric, uh, you had a phase, Eric, where you collected throwing stars and different things, uh, in your youth you want to you want to share that uh story eric well yeah i was uh so i i heard about uh ninjutsu back in the late 1970s and you're a little younger than we are probably but um i got super into that whole sort of school of thought and and the discipline behind it and um i was also a bruce lee fan myself and the whole concept of Jeet Kune Do as a more practical approach to uh, the art form of what traditionally uh, in Kung Fu and Karate uh, was a little more stylistic, I think would be Bruce Lee's uh, critique of it and a little more flashy. You know, there's a lot of a lot of flash to the technique. And meanwhile, you're getting your instep stomped on by the other guy and you lose the fight. And so um, that whole, the whole pragmatism, I think that the whole ninja sort of culture and then Bruce Lee as a pragmatic, you know, boxer, uh, for lack of a better analogy, that, that's what really drew me in. And then I just got into the weapons, you know, and I'm like, wow, this is, this is cool. I need to learn how to throw a knife. I need to learn how to throw a spike. These throwing stars are easy. Um, swords are cool. I mean, what, once I was into swords, it's like, well, I know what I'm going to be for Halloween for the rest of my life. So, <laughs> yeah, that's definitely cool. And, um, I think that's a big draw to the casual fans that are looking to get in. They see people like swinging these stars and there's a sense of danger, but controlled danger. It's like, Oh, I get to train how to use this. Um, that's part of the appeal of martial arts. And, uh, I find that a lot of our students, come from two spectrums like all right some most of our students come in because it's their parents idea because especially with our school we don't really train the kicks and punches to go out there and street fight obviously we've got competitors we've got really talented students but i think what we've been uh, known for in the time that we've been a full-time school is we really use the the arts as a vehicle to build life skills and um most of the students come in because their parents want their kids to have more self-esteem, uh, a better, better sense of strength and physical, mental and emotional uh, well-being. And then we've got a smaller percent like you and I, where we're like, we like, we just, we just want to throw stuff around and, and mimic the movies and be, be cool. So um, it, it, martial arts can truly be for everyone and everybody's going to find 
a different benefit or a different challenge in every single class or any single test that they might take. Speaking of tests that you plan to take, uh, you and your wife are training together to go up a, a rank, right? Can you uh, share a little bit about what that looks like? Yeah, definitely. So when I started, my wife was a second degree black belt already. So I was 12 and she was um, 15. So she had been doing it most of her life already when I just started. And, you know, lately, the last few years, I've been kind of disillusioned with the idea of, okay, well, what rank are you? Okay, well, this person, that for me, it's, I kind of follow more of that Bruce Lee philosophy. It's like, it's not really about the rank. But recently I've kind of realized, all right, well, I can live kind of in the middle. Like I understand that as a purist, like, look, you can be a, you can be somebody that's been training for six months and you can absolutely be better than somebody who's trained their whole life. It depends on what you've done with your time, how efficient you've been. Um, but at the same time for, for kids and especially people that use this as a supplement to strengthen themselves, rank is very powerful because it represents, um, progress, just like any company. Why are, why are titles important? They're not, except they are because it gives people a sense of pride. And it also helps people kind of like know that there's a hierarchy to things to keep the structure. So I've been kind of putting off my rank for many years. I mean, if I would have followed my peers in the martial arts uh, world, uh, I'd have been a master already, but you know, for me, it's, it's, I, I, I feel like I have so much more to learn. So it's hard for me to like say, oh, I need to be a master. Um, but at the same time, I understand my students. It's important for my students to see that I'm still progressing, whether they see it or not. And um, having the title of master someday will be cool for me. I mean, sure, that's that's great. But for my students to see, oh, there's a path to this. And someday if I want to be a master, I can do it. And there are, there are things in Mr. Mo or Mr. Bradley, whoever's the coach, we can help you get there if that's your goal. Yeah. That's a really cool way to think about it. I, I have been witness to some of the black belt testing Saturdays and different things like that. And you, you don't make it easy on the kids. It's, this is not a layup sort of show up and, and get uh, ranked up sort of situation. I mean, you're running the Hills with the kids and you're pushing them and, even your own son, I, I, at the last one I was at, you know, it's uh, coming out of winter and you're pushing uh, your, your boy, like you're not going to be last up that hill. And it's incredibly inspiring. Um, you know, when you thought, I think the, the cool thing, uh, obviously our little town of 12 or 13,000 people to have a real life movie star in our town has been neat. Um, when you we're growing up and you said, maybe I could be like Bruce Lee and I could get into some of these movies. What was that process like to say, I'm going to actually go to Hollywood and I'm going to try to make it. Um, you know, can you talk a little bit about that? And then I'll invite Eric to comment. Yeah. So I think when I was a kid, it was a pipe dream. You know, obviously the only Asian representation I saw on the screen was either kind of a negative connotation or a weak submissive male type thing. Or there was Bruce and Jackie who were like the epitome of cool, the epitome of strength. And I was like, well, I want to be like that kind of Asian guy, not like this other stuff that's shown. So, so for me, um, that's what kind of created this dream in my head. And now that I'm an adult, I see how powerful representation can be for young kids. Mm -hmm. Um, 
because they can only imagine so much. Because when I was a kid, it was a pipe dream. It wasn't really like this path that I thought I could do. I was just like, oh, wow. It's just this spark of an idea. And then as I got older, I just, I liked being that class clown and the center of attention and I love martial arts. So it kind of led me to this thing where in high school, I kind of had to make the decision. All right, do I want to, um, do I want to just hang out with the friends that I've always done who've gone on to football and doing all these other things? Or do I want to like try this theater thing? So I got into the musicals, I got into the, the plays um, and I kind of found, found the more, I say this in a loving way, kind of like the nerdy uh, performing arts kids. And that's where kind of felt most comfortable. And all the while I was continuing my martial arts and I just had fun. It wasn't, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to go to Hollywood and I'm going to be uh, in movies. It was because I liked it. And then years later, um, my wife and I are helping my, my mother-in-law uh, run a school in St. Paul. And I've been doing the tournament circuit. And I got a call from Jackie Chan's people like, hey, can you submit a tape? We're looking for some guys that can do some acrobatic martial arts. And then fast forward a month, I'm in Hong Kong on my first ever uh, movie set with Jackie Chan, the guy that one of the guys that I idolized. And after that experience in Hong Kong, uh, spent a couple of weeks there, I came back home and I was like, well, that was fun. All right. Well, back to the back to the grind of just teaching martial arts and back in Minnesota. And my wife was like, no, you know, we are we are not staying here. Uh, we don't have kids yet. We're about to you know, we're about to be married. We're going to pack up this car and we're moving to L.A as soon as we get married. So after the wedding, a couple months go by and we drive out and she says, yeah, you know, we can always come back to just doing martial arts, but I can never forgive myself if I live with a man that regrets not taking a chance. So it, for me, I was scared because I didn't think I could actually do it, but it was my wife who said, no, you can do it and we're going to do it. I don't care if you fail. Um, if you fail, then we come back and, and there are no what ifs. So we did it and I, I started doing commercials and I was the ninja, of course, because that's what my skill was, martial arts. Then I started taking acting classes, said one line on a show here and there. And it just started kind of like a white belt, right? So I, I, was, I was a black belt in martial arts, but a white belt in acting. And I built myself up. And then here we are. Uh, I spent 10 years in L.A. After we started having kids, we were like, let's get out of L.A., <laughs> Come back to the Midwest for the exact reason why we left. So we left because we're like, it's boring here, ah, all this stuff. And then we had kids. We're like, yeah, it's boring there. Let's go back and we can afford a house. So it's funny how life changes as priorities changes with kids. And I know you guys um, can understand um, what the appeal of living in the Midwest in, in these kind of uh, places that we live. So it's it's been great. How old were you when that acting career got underway? What was your age? I think uh, I think nineteen twenty ish is when I uh, when I went to Hong Kong. I, I can't nineteen twenty, wow. and then um, I think it was twenty one or uh, no, my my timeline's off. I got married when I was twenty two or twenty three, so it was around that early twenties. It all happened. Yeah. Yeah. That's quite a. Uh, recollection for me because I was in that same kind of age group when I was thinking about starting this company and uh, 25 became my sort of go no go uh, you know fork and it was mm -hmm. if I don't do it now I'll never do it I'll go I'll go get a job and you know fall into the lifestyle that goes along with that pathway and I think 
the thing that, um, at least for me, sports, I'll say just generically, and I think martial arts in particular, but sports in general, I was on the crew team at Madison uh, back when I was in college. It helps you find your limits. It helps you uh, figure out how big your box is so that you can make the box a little bigger, you know, the next time you're pushed to those limits. And um, I'm curious your perspective on that uh, notion of limit testing and getting things right to the breaking point. Sometimes literally, you know, you're trying to crack a board in half or a, you know, concrete block. I don't know if that you do that in your dojo or not, or, or if that's just for show, but you know, that, that finding the breaking point and then next time backing off just a little bit. So you don't break what you're trying to figure out how to master. A hundred percent. I don't, I'm not a scholar in this area, but I know for a fact, most people go throughout their entire life without knowing truly what they're capable of. And I think most people, you know, if I had to go level zero to a hundred, hundred being the absolute limit of what you can physically, mentally, and emotionally take, I'd say most people live in this 40 to 60 range and they think that the 60 is their hundred, but they have no idea. And in fact, for me, like I've experienced a lot of different things. Um, I've, I've, um, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I've, I'm tackling this entertainment industry, which is a beast in of itself. And I'm probably at like a 70. You know, I, I think there's more that I can reach towards, but I know for a fact, physically through the martial arts, like I've been to that point where I'm like at an 80 or 90 and I'm like puking and all that stuff, knuckles bleeding. I've, I've been through that. So I think the value in a good martial arts school is they help you see what, like you said, where your current box is, and then you know where that is. So that next time you come up to it, you can break through it a little bit. And if you continue to go through this cycle where, all right, well, here was my limit last time. All right. If I did, if I did this, uh, if I sparred three black belts and I survived, all right, next time I'm going to challenge uh, another one. And, and there are so many different metrics, whether it's a board strength of board, whether it's, um, you know, how, how difficult the form is, how many push-ups you can do as simple as that. Um, yeah, I, I think, I think a lot of the, the students, they, they're going to get challenged in three ways. Some of our, some of them are very natural athletes, physically gifted, and they, they know where their physical limits are, but those people might have a very vulnerable emotional state that they didn't realize, or maybe it's a mental focus issue. So, you know, our purpose of most martial arts is we build physical, mental, and emotional strength. And I think back in the day, we just thought of strength as just physical. But now more and more, especially through a pandemic, like we're seeing the effects of people's mental and emotional strength being depleted. And we're having to find different ways to strengthen them up throughout the context of martial arts training. That prompts a follow-up, if I may, Derek, and then I'll toss it back to you. But the notion of recovery is a really important part of uh, athletics, physical training, sports. And I, I keep in mind a lot that it's not how hard the workout was, it's how, how your body is allowed to recover from that. And I think what the pandemic's demonstrated and you were just referring to it is, we under appreciate how mentally and spiritually we need to do that same recovery process. And I think a lot of the just outright depression and despair you see in a lot of people is because they haven't been tested that way. 
the, there's never been the outpouring of effort that 70, 80% that you were talking about that then has a price. There's a price to be paid. I know for me, I think that's the price of experience, by the way, in the long term is the more experienced, the older you get. It's not that you've got less energy. It's that you understand where those limits are. And then you understand, boy, if I'm going to push myself into the 80, 90, I'm going to need a day for recovery for that day I was on. Yes. Anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if you have kids and a job and whatever else, you can't just can't just go to a hundred because you have responsibilities and that's some, for some people it weighs them down and for other people, it just makes them be more efficient with their energy. So you're absolutely right. Just being more picky about what endeavors you want to attack. Uh, and another thing that we've, that I, that I've been reminded of is, you know, anybody can go on YouTube and learn martial arts. You know, it's martial arts training can be free if you're, if you're savvy, but I think the value of, um, what we've been able to provide people through this challenging time is, is a community. And now that a lot of the students are returning back in person, you know, we're still in masks and we're spaced out and we're doing things safely. But at the same time, like now we're getting this, this uplift in, wow, there are people and there's a huge value in tackling something challenging with people next to you with similar mindset and, you know, you're not struggling alone. And because of that, it's fun. Right on. But I love the limit testing thing. And, you know, disappointment oftentimes comes with, with limit testing. You know, you're, you're trying to go from that 50, 60 into the 80, 90 territory. You tried out for Bruce Lee a, a couple times and got turned down as I remember the story. Um, you know, at what point, were you about to say, well, maybe it's just not in the cards for me to play Bruce Lee in a big movie. Uh, and yet you went on to do that. Yeah. You know, as an actor, <laughs> I've, I've been turned down many, many times, whether it's Bruce Lee or for whatever else. And, you know, I don't know any other profession where you get, you know, 2% success rate is a huge success. Like I don't know any other industry. So as an actor, like mental strength is, is such a, a big and emotional strength is such a big thing because I know there are many people that are much more talented than I have been that you know but maybe they have this talent but they can't hear no and it breaks them down emotionally and they stop so you know the next Meryl Streep could have happened but um, you know not every part is right for you so for in my case yeah there had been a couple other projects where you know I was a good fit and you know Hollywood whether it's one reason or another it just didn't turn out and then for this particular role it just happened to work out and that's that's the way it goes sometimes in sports you need a little luck in life you need a little luck and um, this one worked out for for um, for me for the Tarantino film I was just gonna say I just watched that scene last night it was on HBO or one of the uh, one of the channels, and I I noticed that that scene served a really specific purpose in the story, which was we didn't know who Cliff was until after he had that little dust up with Bruce, um, and then you understand Cliff killed his wife and got away with it, and then I'll, I'm spoiler alert by the way. I should oh, it's been plenty of time. Before I, anyway, that's now. enough about the. 
Yeah. yeah no, I think I anyway, think... The, the, the purpose of that scene was key to the, to the arc. Yeah. And there, and there was some, um, I'm sure maybe some of your listeners have heard there was some controversy about, you know, Bruce being played as an asshole or as pompous or whatever, but you know, at the end of the day, it's Tarantino and the whole thing about Tarantino choosing Bruce Lee to be that guy is he said to me like, well, we could have had Jim Brown that would have legitimized how uh, tough and how dangerous of a killer Cliff Booth is. But Jim Brown is not as cool as Bruce Lee. And Bruce Lee is universally known as one of the baddest men on the planet. So if Cliff can, can go toe to toe with Bruce Lee, like that serves the story to legitimize how dangerous and of a loose cannon. Yeah, this guy not only killed his wife probably, but he can also, he's also killed many people in war. So that was the whole point of it. Whether people right. got that or not um, is, is up to them, but that's what cinema is for, um, for people to make their own judgment about what it is. And for me, my job as the actor is, hey, you know, I do want to pay tribute to Bruce because I loved how cocky he was. So when people say like, oh, I can't believe they portrayed him as such a cocky bastard. I was like, you know what? I kind of like that about him. So I'm okay with that. I think well, you that, did a great that, job, and I, I, I didn't realize what the, how it fit and what the utility and necessity of the scene was till I watched it with the anticipation of talking to you today. So uh, <laughs> thank you for that. Great performance sure. once again. Thank you. Go ahead, Derek. Well, I think in business or our personal lives or other circles or networks or whatever uh, we might be all running in, you know, again, kind of bringing us back to the whole concept, there's, there's always some type of fog that we're consistently navigating and running through and what's super fun i i know eric and i find it fun i sense that you find it fun too is to be underestimated like you'd rather be underestimated than overestimated and in that character cliff underestimates your power and you send him to his ass on the first time and then cliff might get the better of you the next round and then they they cut it off you know before the the third attempt right um you know, whether it be in that movie, training for that movie, or you know, in some other domain, Mike, can you can you share a story or two about ways you've felt underestimated and maybe proven people wrong in that sense? Yes, yeah, as as, um, as a matter of fact, when when I moved here, when when I moved our family here, um, I did not have the goal right away to open up a, a full fledged martial arts school. My, my goal was, my, my sights were still set, you know, I would say 90% on my acting career. Um, you know, I, I had an agency in Chicago. I was still traveling back and forth. In fact, I was, uh, I had just finished filming uh, the Street Fighter movie in Bulgaria when we had moved. So I was still very much in that mode. And for the martial arts aspect, I was like, well, you know, I, I still love teaching. I still want to be involved. So I went to the community center and I kind of took over an existing community program. And at the time we had 35 students and 35 students after six months became 70. And then after nine months became a hundred and we physically could not hold the classes there anymore. So that became a good problem. And I had to say like, all right, well, now we've got to open up a full-time school. And I was told by many people that had already tried opening a school here, they said, nope, Wanakee is too small. There are not enough families to support a full-time business. Sure, a community center, 
but no way is it a good idea to to put any eggs in this basket of, of this town. It's just too small. So I did it anyway. And um, I proved many people wrong uh, pretty much instantly. So, you know, we, we have a great school. And um, when people find out that we're pushing 300 members, they're like, well, where do you live? Are you in a major city? No, our, our, our town is 15,000 and their, their minds are blown. And I think it's we, we, I didn't set out with the mentality of getting all these students. It's just, I'm sure you all know, like if you're passionate about something and you can convey that, that messaging, people with that like-minded energy will, will come to you and find you. So that was one, one aspect of being underestimated. And then in my, in my acting career, like I even underestimated myself because my goal when I first started was like, I just want to have fun, be on set, you know, get free fruit on, on, on the set, crafty, all this stuff. And then, um, you know, the, the Tarantino Bruce Lee thing, that's beyond what I thought I was capable of. So after that happened, now I'm like, oh, what do I want to do now? Um, now that my dream has kind of already been fulfilled, I spent a lot of time in the last couple of years, like, okay, now, is, is that it? Do I want to go beyond this box or do I want to set new goals? And of course, being the person that I am, I, I, I love challenges. I'm like, well, yeah, well, now I want to star in my own movie. Maybe in the future, I want to produce and direct my own stuff. So I don't have like a timeline for that. But now I'm starting to see like, oh, yeah, it's possible. I can definitely do it. I'm capable. And now just trying to balance it all while also trying to be uh, an acceptable husband and dad that that's the that's the challenge of it so definitely a lot of fog in my future but um it's good it's good i know at the other side of it there's there's some sunsets and uh, all the beautiful stuff oh cool well you know part of being a good storyteller is uh making characters that people care about and i think that's uh, a characteristic that I've discovered in talking with you, Mike, uh, here a little bit more deeply. And as we kind of wind things up for our, our conversation today, um, I'm really excited to see, you know, more about what your school has to offer. And I'd love if you'd share some ways that people can connect there, either social or, or online. Uh, and then uh, if you are, you know, accepting new students, uh, obviously that's, that's a big one uh, because I care about you now as a character. I really am, am curious to see where you go and, uh, following your story and now becoming part of your story has been a real, real gift. So thank you. I appreciate that, Eric. And uh, Derek, thanks for the invite. And of course, um, you know, many thanks for your families being contributing to our community as well. So um, yeah, we, we still run Zoom classes. I'd imagine that we're going to wind down to like one or two times per week, but we're still going to accept students whoever wants to train especially people that might not be able to afford like a full-time program uh, i've opened up a scholarship um, with all the the recent anti-asian sentiment i've got a group of 10 asian kids that are across the country whose parents haven't been able to get them signed up for martial arts but they've wanted to so it's really cool to welcome um you know and just make a small drip in the ocean that can hopefully make a make a wave for some of these kids and um yeah, uh, our social handle for Mo's Martial Arts is all one word, M-O-H-S Martial Arts. Uh, feel free to reach out. And then my personal handle is Mike, M-I-K-E-M-O-H. Yeah, right on. Let me, uh, I want to close with a, a little story. Uh, it's, it's, it's a very personal story of the impact that the schools had on my family. And uh, 
know, the story goes, I've been coming in and out of your studio for seven plus years now with Benji, right? Uh, Allie and I are watching the Winter Olympics happening in Seoul. Uh, I later went and actually toured the World Taekwondo headquarters. You know this uh, when we went and picked Rocky up. And what I find most inspiring about your school is the fact that you're so inclusive in a community that is predominantly white. And you've got students crossing every cultural dimension, every racial dimension, and the inclusivity that occurs there was actually a big, um, big justification or a reason in a sense of why we felt even more comfortable going and adopting this little boy from South Korea saying, hey, you know, someday he can train, you know, with Mike and his amazing instructors. And we haven't started that yet. We're going to start it soon, sir. And it's going to be awesome to watch a uh, little Rocky get a yeah. chance to, uh, you know, flying kick you and <laughs> Quentin and, and uh, Mr. Michaels, and yeah. all that stuff. So no, thank you for what you've done for us as well. That's amazing to hear. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm humbled by that. And uh, yeah, I mean, martial arts and any endeavor running through the fog, all this, I love, I love the, um, the imagery and the, the messaging behind it all. And, you know, life is tough, but it doesn't have to be as tough when we're around people that are problem solvers and we're action takers. And of course we all need a little luck and a lot of support on the way, but um, I think, I think we can do it. Right on, sir. Well, thank you, Mike, for being a guest on Running Into the Fog. Eric, give you the last word. Well, I'll just say, Mike, you're now adopted as an honorary Joe Bro. Uh, you're part of the Johnson Brothers uh, extended family. And I can't wait to uh, hopefully uh, crack a beer someday uh, in the same room together. Derek and I were just joking the other day. We haven't we haven't had a beer together in like a year, a year and a half, it feels like, anyway. But someday soon, hopefully. I love it. Thanks, guys. All right. Thank you, Mike. See you next time on Running Into the Fog, everybody. Bye, everybody.